Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Talking about this last week because, see, when Christianity started out, when this whole Jesus movement thing started out, those people, the early church members, the early followers of Jesus were the most generous people on the planet. They were the most open and, and welcome people on the planet. And you got to see this in Acts chapter 4. It actually talks about them. It actually says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. They shared everything they had. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Now notice that. I want you to take special note of that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. God's grace somehow through all through the New Testament, it seems to be tied to, to giving and generosity. And Luke, who recorded this, he was a doctor at first, and he became kind of like a, uh, a journalist of sorts and documented the, the spread of the early church. It's almost like Luke is saying like, hey, notice the grace here, and notice that when grace gets to work, grace actually ends up giving. And Luke makes this tie here, and we're going to see it later on in, in the message as well. But this new way of living, this generous way of living, this is what made the church so attractive to their world. This is what made them so popular in the early days. And in those days, I mean, it was just tribal societies all around, and the, the world was made up of villages and towns that had walls around them, and, and people would raid other villages and raid other towns. And in fact, when Jesus was there, when the movement kicked off, the Roman Empire was kind of the big bully on the block. And historians conservatively estimate, conservatively, that up to 50 to 70% of that population in the Roman Empire were actually slaves. They were undereducated. They were under-resourced. They were hungry. They were homeless. They were hurting and we looked at what Jesus did with people on the margins of society last week, and it's no surprise then that just like Jesus, his church, his movement, stepped into the compassion void that existed in the world. And the church opened her arms to everyone and offered them redemption from their past and redemption from their failures, yes, but more than that, they offered them belonging and they offered them safety and security and provision as they ushered in the kingdom of God into their world. And so here in 2018, we're a local chapter of the Jesus movement of the church, and we're engaged in the business of kind of figuring out what this calling looks like for us here today. But this rescue calling thing, this, this rescue family thing that we call the church, it was God's design from the very beginning. And when Jesus showed up, he kind of perfected the picture for us. And Jesus was showing us this new way of being human, which actually wasn't new. It was actually renewed. He was actually taking us back to original design. And, and then he did this strange thing where he called it the kingdom. He's talked about bringing in the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. He kept talking about his father as the king. And then he taught people how to pray. And he said, well, when you pray, pray like this. Our father, which is in heaven. Come on, if you know it, say it with me. Hallowed be thy name. Your, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And so people are wondering, well, Jesus, you're here to bring a, a new kingdom into the world? And Jesus would say, yeah. And so they'd wonder, well, when are you going to, uh, you know, kill people and take over? Because that's how kingdoms break into the world. And Jesus was shaking his head and saying, no, it's, it's not that kind of kingdom. That kind of kingdom has always left people marginalized. And that kind of kingdom has always left, 
left people captive to kings that they never wanted. But Jesus said, my kingdom is going to break into the world through the power of love. And Jesus broke into the world and stepped on to, of course, became famous on the world stage through what he did at Calvary. And now the entrance into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, it's by invitation. It is not by force. He doesn't get you in a headlock and drag you to an altar, much like we're going to do at the end of this certain. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, we're not going to do that. But this kingdom idea, this is a large part of what we're doing today and why we're taking commitments today and talking about this. This is one of the ways that we become part of God's rescuing work in the world. We are part of the kingdom. We resource the kingdom. And then even outside of giving, this is why Christians are the way Christians are. We are becoming the kind of people who will rule and reign with Jesus in a brand new kind of world one day, which means that we as Christians, we are auditioning for eternity. Now, I want you to think about this. Why do Christians behave the way they do when they behave like they're supposed to? Let's just put that little caveat on there, right? Why do Christians behave like they do? For example, why don't Christians lie? Why don't Christians lie? Here's why Christians don't lie under the Jesus movement. Because when I lie to you, it devalues you. It dishonors you. It degrades you. And I lower your worth by deceiving you. I degrade you by not counting you worthy of of knowing or of handling the truth that I know. And so I keep something from you. And then when you find out that someone has been lying to you for a while, what does it do to your relationship? It breaks the relationship exactly right. So who wants to live? Question, let's, let's go show of hands here this morning. Who wants to live in a world where the people you love lie to you? Uh, no, nobody. What, what a surprise. I expected a few. No, and if you want to live in a world where nobody lies to you, then you have to become the kind of person that is always truthful. If you're going to live in that new kind of world where there is only truth, you can only speak truth in your life. That's why Christians don't lie. See, why don't Christians steal? Because we might get caught. Everybody's got camera. No, that's not why. That's a horrible reason to not steal. That's a selfish reason. But we don't steal because if I steal from you, I dishonor you. I devalue you. I say that you are less worthy of having what you have than I am worthy of taking it from you. And so I degrade you and I put myself above you. Who wants to live in a world where people steal from you all the time? Show of hands. Nobody, right? And so if you want to live in a world where no one steals, you have to become the kind of person who is generous with others and who shares And I I put that together for a reason. It's in Ephesians. I didn't come up with that on my own. Somebody a lot smarter than me did that. And I could go on with seven and a half billion more examples of all of these things of why Christians don't do that. Because there are seven and a half billion people in the world, which means there are at least seven and a half billion different ideas on how to cheat somebody else. Can I get a good amen, somebody? Oh, that wasn't a good amen, but we'll, we'll just go from that. You're a little nervous to be honest today. But listen, these injustices that we do to other people, these are the things that God calls sin. And this is what God doesn't just want to forgive you of. This is what God wants to save you from. 
God wants to change the kind of people we are so that we are the kind of people that rule and reign with him in a brand new kind of world. Somebody say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And so the things that we do and, and the attitudes that we have and the behaviors that we're kind of content to live with, you know, that cause us to break and to break down our relationships, those behaviors and addictions and attitudes that cause us to hurt the people that we love most in life, Jesus is at work to get rid of those things in our life because we are auditioning for eternity. There is a new day coming and it's going to be amazing. And I want to be part of it. I want to be part of it. Now, look, you know this idea about sin that I'm talking about. It's not a random list of rules. If you've ever been touched by divorce in your life, you know that what I'm saying is true. That sin is never done in a vacuum. But sin, when it is done, has ripples that spread out and touch our lives, even when it's most inconvenient for these things to touch our lives. If you've ever struggled with drug addiction or have a family member or a loved one that struggled with drug addiction, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been the victim of violence or of hate or of prejudice, you know what I'm talking about. These things hurt others. And God is at work to right those injustices. And Christians believe that one day God is going to make a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And he is inviting all of us to be part of that brand new world. But what good is a brand new world with the same old lion, the same old cheating and stealing and hate and violence? If I want to live in a world without lying, I have to become the kind of person that is truthful. If I want to live in a world without stealing, I have to become the kind of person that is generous. If I want to live in a world without broken hearts, I have to love without, I have to learn to love without failing. And I have to be in circumstances where even though things get bad, I never walk away. If I want to live in a world without hate, and Jesus help me, I have to be the kind of person that loves Republicans or Democrats. No? Too, too tense, we're not going there. No. I have to be the kind of person that loves immigrants or loves natural born citizens or, in other words, just loves people. Can I hear a good amen? Loves black people, loves white people, loves people that are a beautiful color of caramel like myself. <laughs> Got to get outside a little bit. I'm losing my caramel. It's turning into vanilla. And so in order to feel at home in that new kind of world, if I want to be at home, if you want to be at home in that new kind of world, then we have to allow the Holy Spirit to change us into a new kind of person in this world. In this world. Because we are auditioning for eternity. And if we want to live in the kind of kingdom, and where this all ties into generosity, if we want to live in the kind of world and the kind of kingdom where nobody is in want, where no one is hungry, where no one lives in need, then I have to become the kind of person that gives generously now. I can't wait till I get over there and then say, well, God's going to handle it. God is trying to handle it now and you and I are the way that he is handling it. And we are being changed. We got quiet in here. Mm, yeah, y'all are waiting for me to drop the bomb on you. I know. 
We're auditioning for eternity. Jesus followers live in such a way that our lives show a brand new day breaking into the darkness in our world. We should offer the hope and the joy of heaven to those that are lost and hurting and in despair now. We can't just wait for some day soon in the by and by. It comes into our world now. We decide and we determine, City Grace, can I hear an amen, that we bring heaven into here. We bring then into now. God, it happens with me and through me. Can I have somebody clap your hands this morning for God's plan? And so the needs of those around us are opportunities for us to show what it will look like when God is king of everything. When you meet somebody in need, when you meet someone that's hurting, It's a chance for you to show what it will look like when God is king over everything. We are introducing people to a kingdom, a new kind of kingdom. We are introducing people to love without condition. We are how the kingdom comes. We are how God's will on earth is done. Now, I want to turn the corner a little bit and kind of talk about another element, another aspect to giving that kind of pops up and gets in the way of us bringing the kingdom bringers that Jesus called us to be. Until the day that God does create the new heaven and new earth, until the day that Christ does judge all of the injustices and fix all of the wrongs, until that day, the kingdom that we are living in now, even though it's not all the way here, the kingdom operates on a principle called faith. And look, there have been a lot of meanings that have kind of hijacked that word faith and attached themselves to it. And somehow in our, in our Christian uh, thinking, the word faith has kind of just become synonymous with like knowing facts. Like I know that God is real. It's a mental thing. But it has nothing to do with my life. That is not at all what the early church saw faith as. Maybe the best word in our modern times to describe faith is the word trust. And the kingdom runs on faith. The kingdom runs on trust from start to finish. Now, think about this. We, we kind of get this. Think of just about any Christian practice. Anybody here pray? Oh, like five of y'all. It's great. Glad to be in church this morning. Anybody here pray? I'll give you a little warning. There we go. Now, think about this. You're telling me that when you stop and say the name Jesus that the God of the whole universe stops and listens to you? Like, like, I can't even get my kids to listen to me. Like, my dog only listens to me because I feed him. Like, you know, you're telling me that you really think that the God of all heaven and earth takes you seriously when you talk at the sky? You really, does anybody really believe that this morning? It's based on faith. It's based on, I talk about baptism all the time. We talk about it in growth track. There's nothing special about the water we use for baptism. We use a horse trough because the city wanted like $15,000 to put in a permanent baptismal tank. We're not doing that. We use a horse trough. We use a regular rubber hose that we get from the garden store and hook it up to the janitor's closet because there's hot water in there. And it used to be, we used to make everybody get baptized in cold water. Because that make your chin quiver, make it look like you're really sad for the things you've done. We wanted some pain associated with that baptism so you never sin again. Can I hear an amen? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. 
But think about it. The water doesn't mean anything or doesn't hold any special properties. Rather, The trough certainly isn't special. What makes baptism work? It's the faith that you have that, okay, God, you're telling me if I will sit down in this tub and let Jared hold me under, but not for too long. Like, let Jared put me under the water, that when I come up out of that water, my past is buried there, and I am rising up to be a brand new creation that has never existed before? That takes faith. That takes trust. And if you don't have faith, when you get baptized, you just get wet. Faith is what makes baptism Work And so when it comes to giving generously, it doesn't make sense that my life will be more full if I give more away. That's counterintuitive. That doesn't work with my logic. But as you prove God true by acting on your trust, your faith actually becomes less faith and more certainty. Now, come on, can I get an amen from some seasoned saints in the room? There is a time when you start giving and it's all based on faith. But after you've been given for a while and you've seen God show up all those times when you didn't know if he was going to show up or not, it moves from faith to certainty. Think about this now. There's this sliding scale that operates subconsciously. And when we want to believe something but don't have evidence for it, we have to act in trust or in faith. There's like this scale where some things are certainly true. And then there are other things that we know are certainly false. But we live a lot of times in that middle area, don't we? Where it's doubts. And I'm not sure if it's true, and I'm not sure if it's false. Anybody have doubts in the room? Yes, we have doubts. Everybody's scared to admit you have doubts. I have doubts. We all have doubts. But doubt does not preclude you from having faith. Doubt is the condition that you need in order to act in faith. If you didn't have doubts then you would already know that something is true or something is false. You need doubt in order to act in faith. See, faith is, or doubt rather, is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite or the enemy of your faith. Doubt is a necessary condition for you to have faith. And when you have doubts, you have the opportunity to either act in faith, which moves you towards a certainty that something is true, or you can let your doubts overwhelm you and you can act in fear. And suddenly those things are certainly not true for you. But as long as you are living out your faith, you will have doubt. Sometimes you'll have more doubts. Sometimes you will have fewer doubts, but doubt does not disqualify your faith. And as you begin to lean on what Jesus promised, you act in faith even when you have doubts. Did you hear what I said? When you begin to live on the kingdom principle of faith and trust, when you have doubts, you take that step of faith to move towards something that's true because you are acting in faith. God is going to come true, or God is going to come through in our doubts. Now, I'm getting all confused on my words. Everybody lost here? I confused myself. I'm just kidding. As we find, <laughs> scratch that example. Let's get rid of that one. As we find God, now listen, here's, here's where I'm going with all this. This is aiming towards the seasoned saints of which I am one. 
as you act in faith more and more times in your generosity, it just becomes a certainty for you. And pretty soon, after you've been given for a while, you don't even give from faith anymore. You give from certainty that God is going to come through. I am certain that God will provide for me. You're not giving out of faith. You're giving out of certainty. You've seen God be faithful to you for years. It takes no faith anymore. You have no doubts. And that is a beautiful thing. But to all of the seasoned saints, here is the danger that we have to watch out for. There is a danger that we can close our ears to hearing a call to give from faith. We can think, well, I'm good. I don't need to think about my giving anymore. I acted in faith, and now it no longer takes faith, so now I just keep giving what I've always given, and I don't have to listen for God's leading or God's voice anymore. Think about this. Think about this. And if we're not careful, and listen, I'm telling you, I have lived this. I put myself in this category. We can adjust our lifestyle to handle a set amount of giving and close our eyes to the people in need that still exist around us. Why? Because we're no longer acting in faith. We're no longer acting to bring the kingdom into our world. We're just doing what we have always done. We can actually become comfortable when we see someone in need because we think that being generous with God is just about giving a set amount and forgetting about it. But there's no transformation taking place to turn us into generous people. The goal of the Christian generosity is not to give a fixed amount of money to the church, although that's a great place to start. Here's the goal of Christian generosity, to become the kind of person who will rule and reign with Christ in a world where no one is ever in need. Listen to me. This is so important. This is so, so very important. As I said at the open, the early church met the needs of people around them often. They had a reputation for being radically generous, and their lost and broken world loved them for it. They knew if they needed something, they didn't need to go to Caesar. They didn't need to go to the Jewish temple. They didn't need to go to the Jewish leaders. Who did they run to? The church. They ran to the movement, the body of Jesus Christ. They had heard of all of the wonderful things that Jesus had done in their world. And somehow it seemed like this other group of people had caught his spirit somehow. I'm preaching right now if somebody wants to say an amen. Somehow it seemed like this ragtag group of people who didn't seem to have very much themselves had caught the generosity and the kindness and the compassion of Jesus. And when the church met the needs of the lost, and broken people in their world. The world sat up and took notice of the church. The church became famous for generosity and caring for the needs of those who had any need. Now, one of the most famous instances of giving came when the Jewish believers were persecuted and driven from Israel. And there's a lot of history and details around this. I don't have a lot of time to go into that this morning. But the bottom line is there were a bunch of Jewish refugees in the world. And they needed resources to help them with relocation and food and housing and, and clothes. So Paul who was one of the early leaders of the church, he decided to ask the other churches around the Mediterranean rim 
to give an offering to these Jewish believers. And this, you can see this offering you know, mentioned a bunch of times in, in the New Testament, and it's evidently something that he kept going back to or came back or kept on going for a while or came back to every once in a while. But all the churches that he had started or all of the churches that he had visited and written letters to, they knew about the need of the Jewish believers. And so one day, Paul writes to a church in a city called Corinth to talk to them about contributing to this need of the Jewish believers. In the Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace. Anybody remember that from earlier? The grace that was at work in the church when they were generous? We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. So he's not talking about the Jewish people that are displaced. He's talking about the Macedonians that gave to the Jewish people. In the midst of a very severe trial, there was some kind of economic depression in that country. Something had happened with their crops or their livestock. The whole area of Macedonia was severely in a depression right there. In the midst of a very severe trial, notice this, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now there's two phrases that you never hear together. Overflowing joy and extreme poverty. Those two things don't go with each other. But for some reason, these Macedonians had overflowing joy, even in their extreme poverty. And when you put those two things together, evidently God uses that as the ingredients to bring about rich generosity. And so Paul goes on. He says, I want to testify. I want to tell you guys. They gave as much as they were able. And then they even gave beyond their ability and entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the, notice these words, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. Paul's saying, Corinthians, you guys wouldn't believe this. They begged us to let them give. Now think about that. Paul said, they begged us to let them give, which means at some point Paul was telling them, no, you're too poor to give. Now think about that. They're taking, a, they're taking an offering for refugees. And Paul is saying, you're too poor to give to refugees. Like some of y'all are thinking, man, I just found my people in the Bible right here. It's right in front of me. Paul is saying, you are too poor to give to refugees. And they begged Paul. They begged the other church leaders. No, no, we know that things are really bad here, but we've got this overflowing joy. Like Jesus has so changed our life. Things are just different. And Paul, you gotta let us do something to meet these needs because that's what Jesus did for us. Wow, the Macedonians, wow the Macedonians. And so they gave what they had. And when they acted in faith, somehow, in some way, God helped them give beyond what they were able. They planted a seed of what they had, and God grew their gift up to be so big that Paul was blown away by their generosity because they got the supernatural involved in their natural finance. Now, what kind of person gives like that? They've got to either be crazy or else they are living as if they are citizens of a completely different kind of kingdom 
where the king of their kingdom has promised that he will always have their back and supply their needs. Either they're crazy or they're living like they are citizens of a kingdom where it's actually a joy to find someone who is in need so that you can meet the need like your needs have been met. Think about it. And Paul goes on. He says, look, guys, I'm not commanding you. I'm not going to strong arm you or hold a gun to your head to take an offering. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Paul's saying this isn't a rule. There's no law here. But here's the mark set by the Macedonians. And that's how high you got to jump. And the Corinthians are thinking, man, we can't be outgiven by some poor Macedonians. We can't be outgiven by some people who are too poor to take up an offering for refugees. Like, how does God even calculate that? You know, my abacus doesn't work like their abacus. I don't know how that works. And then Paul goes on. He makes it even harder. He goes on in verse 9. He says, for you know the grace, there it is again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, come on, somebody, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Are there any rich people in the building this morning? That in our poverty, the God of all heaven stepped into our brokenness and our hurt, and he became poor so that we could become rich. Well, man, Paul, you're not even being fair now. You compared us to the Macedonians, props, honor. But now you're comparing us to Jesus. What's Paul doing? He is testing them. He told them, I'm testing you. I am measuring your transformation. I want to see just how far along you are to become the kind of to becoming the kind of people who willingly give wherever they see a need. And it doesn't matter if they've already given. It doesn't matter how little they have or how much they think they have. No matter that they may have worries and doubts and fears. What kind of person are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? And then he goes on, he gives them some details about the offering and how it's going to be collected and who's going to collect it. And then in chapter 9, he starts wrapping up the conversation and he reminds them of something that has to do with our talk of faith and fear. In chapter 9 and verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Paul's saying, listen guys, you have to wrap your brains around this the right way. You are the citizens of a different kingdom. You live by a different economy and you are not giving away something that will never come back. But there is a principle involved when you involve God in your giving. That even though you may not have very much to sow because seeds are tiny, yet when you sow it in Jesus' name to meet the need of someone that Jesus loves as you are becoming transformed into the kingdom kind of people here and now, that God gets involved and in what is small with you and what is tiny with me, God is able to multiply and increase so that we can give something over and above what we could ever do without God. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. So generously, you will reap generously. And I want to know, Corinthians, what's driving your giving? Is it fear? 
or is it faith? In verse 7, he says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And if you have to have somebody drag it out of you, if you have to have someone show you a sad picture to give to a need, if you are not the kind of person that is ushering in the world where no one is in want, then it is just a sign that you are not yet the kind of person that will rule and reign with Christ in a world where no one is in need. For God is looking for, for God loves cheerful givers. God loves Macedonians who can't wait to give. God loves people who are in dire straits themselves, but beg to be allowed to meet the needs of somebody else because they have been changed on the inside and they are daily, progressively looking more and more and more like Jesus. In verse 11, he goes on, he says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. Notice that. He did not say you will be enriched in every way so that you can buy a mansion. You will be equipped for sowing. You will be equipped for planting. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous occasionally. So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Because of the service, look at this, this is so beautiful. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, you've shown people, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And Paul is reminding them of the reputation that the early church had. And everywhere the church went and proclaimed the gospel of Christ, generosity accompanied the preaching of the gospel. Their world was hurting and their world was in need, but people didn't just stand on a street corner and shout scriptures at people. The early believers did not pick up a megaphone and preach at people, but they welcomed people into their homes. They shared everything that they had. They made sure that every need of the people around them was met and the people who were in need started looking to the church for what they needed. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Here it is again. Because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. Because of the surpassing grace that causes you to look at the hurting and look at those in need and simply be like Jesus and give and share and meet a need exactly where people are. Paul is saying this wins hearts. This wins hearts. This is a grace that God has given to you that you give to others. Grace and giving. Grace and giving. Grace and giving. If you want more grace, do more giving. If you want more grace, be more generous. And this will cause people to pray for you and to thank God for you. And then Paul closes out the conversation with something so strange. Something so strange if we don't understand the context of Paul being a Jew. If we don't understand the context of Jewish people not ever associating with Gentiles. If we don't understand that Paul had broken the laws of his previous faith. 
If we don't understand that Paul had never set foot in a Gentile house before he was saved by Jesus Christ. Paul goes on in verse 15 and he says this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul, wait, you're saying thank God for our generosity? Paul would say, yes, I thank God for your generosity, but not for generosity's sake. I thank God for your generosity because your generosity is proof that you are becoming the kind of people that God is going to use one day to rule and reign over a world where there is no more heartache, where there is no more pain, where there is no more brokenness, where there is no more hate, and where there are no more people in need. Thanks be to God for the transformation that's coming over your heart and your mind. Thanks be to God for the grace that has so flooded your life that you can't help keeping it. You've got to give it away. Come on, can you give God thanks this morning? I forgot my preaching towel this morning. Thanks be to God for the transformation taking place in you, Corinthians, that you that the Macedonian church, that the Galatian church, that all the other Mediterranean churches are being transformed. I didn't think it was possible with you Gentiles. I thought we Jews were the only ones. But thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You are changed. You are transformed. You are living now as if it is already then. And you are bringing heaven into your world. In the Macedonian church, in the Corinthian church, in the Galatian church, in all of the other churches around the Mediterranean rim that Paul wrote to. And now in 2018 and here in Fairfield, California, this church, City Grace, you and me and the people sitting next to you and in front of you, we live and we give as those who will rule and reign with Jesus in his new kind of kingdom. And fear has been banished. Do we have doubts? Yes, we have doubts. But fear does not drive our actions. We live by faith. Do we have doubts and uncertainties and are we worried about how we're going to make? Yes, we are. But we remember the words of our Savior who said, if you will seek first the kingdom of God, everything that you need will be added to you. Seek the kingdom Here, seek the kingdom now. Live as though eternity is already in the present. Because we're planting seeds and we're believing God for the harvest of those who will turn to God because of the grace that is at work in us. Mm, Thank God for his indescribable gift. Amen. As we transition, could you just give God thanks this morning? Could you lift up your hands and your hearts? This morning, the end of service is going to be a little bit different. I'd like everybody to do this. If you could all pick up your commitment cards that are on the chairs around you this morning. Now, we've got twos and three steps and two steps and all this stuff around, so I'm going to try and make this as simple as I possibly can, and you can follow along with me this morning. There's two things you need to do under this new, this new plan that we're launching this morning, the three different ways to be generous at City Grace. There's two things you need to do. Number one... You need to make a formal commitment to consistent giving at City Grace. And that's what this card does. 
We also have this same form, just looks a little bit different on our website now. Um, But for now, today, we're saving you the trip of going to the website. This is the form you need to fill out today. And all this form does is get you to make a formal commitment to giving to God's kingdom here at City Grace. And then the second thing that you need to do after you make the formal commitment to giving is to start giving. And you can either give by cash or by check here. There's envelopes in the lobby. The offering boxes are in the lobby. Or, of course, you can give by checking account or by debit card online. We don't accept credit cards at City Grace. In fact, if you have a lot of credit card debt, we don't want anything from you. We want to actually give you something. And every, every year, we give away Financial Peace University. It's a $100 course uh, taught by Dave Ramsey. He's a nationally acclaimed uh, uh, counselor. And, and we actually buy that course for you and give it to you free of charge because we want you to be out of debt. We believe God doesn't want anybody to live in debt. We want you to have no financial worries. We want God... We think God just got the best plan going, and so we want that for you. But I want to explain the three ways to give at City Grace. If you'll notice on the back of your card, it has the three ways to give. Number one is a life giver. Life givers at City Grace, and I apologize, I misspoke last week. Life givers at City Grace. This is kind of like your your starting point. You're beginning to live generously by giving at least $20 per week in a scheduled recurring online donation. So this is an offering that you are giving to City Grace and to help us go out and do the work that we do in our community. You haven't maybe fully brought God excuse me, into your finances yet, but you want to. And so life givers give life to our church. Excuse me. Life givers give life to our outreach efforts and our community service projects. And life givers are so important to the mission of City Grace. And so maybe this morning, you're not ready to go on to this next step that we're going to talk about, but you want to start somewhere? You can start by being a life giver at City Grace. The second way to be consistently generous at City Grace is to be a tither, dedicating the first 10% of your income to the church's ministries. Listen, this church, this family, our small groups, and the things that we do in the world— it would not exist without the tithers of City Grace. Thank you to everyone who tithes at City Grace. And all throughout the Bible, God has called people to tithe. And the word tithe actually means a tenth. It's people who dedicate the first tenth of their income to God's kingdom. And under the new covenant, we actually think 10% is a great place to start. That got awkward, didn't it? Yeah. But some people aren't there yet. Some people aren't at 10%. If you tried to do that right now, they'd come and collect your car in the next couple of weeks. And so maybe you're new to following Jesus. You can't go all the way to 10% right now. I do want to say this. At the first of the year, we're actually going to have a tithing challenge, a 90-day tithing challenge. So stick around, and after the first of the year, we'll be talking to you about the tithing challenge. But until then, you need to start practicing tithing. If you love City Grace and what's going on, you need to start practicing tithing. And here's how you can practice tithing. This isn't on your cards. You practice tithes first by picking a percentage. Now, don't pick an amount. Pick a percentage of your income. And then secondly, you give that percentage first. When you get your paycheck, you give to God first. You involve God before you involve Chase. You involve God before you involve Wells Fargo. And then thirdly, now I just put three months up as a random, you can pick whatever time period you want. Every three months or every six months, you increase that percentage that you are giving to the church. Maybe you're only able to increase it by half a percent or maybe just 1%. That's fine. But start practicing 
tithing. I, um, I started out tithing because my dad was a pastor and uh, I couldn't even cheat on my tithes because he knew how much my 10% was. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm one of those experienced saints that I spoke of earlier. And, and it's kind of easy for us now to give 10% if you've been tithing for a long time, but that's not because we're holier. It's just because we've been doing it for 25 years, right? We kind of figured out how to adjust our life. But now for Chelsea and me, our challenge is actually to go beyond the 10%. We don't just want to give 10% to God and God's kingdom and what God is doing. We are so in love with what God is doing and specifically for us because we go here, what God is doing at City Grace. We actually want to go beyond 10% and that leads us to the third category of giving at City Grace, to be a dream builder. Dream builders at City Grace give consistent offerings beyond the 10% to grow the impact of City Grace. Listen, we as a church family, we will not be able to do everything that God has planned for us to do without people in this room becoming dream builders. I'm telling you, we got big, big dreams. We stand at such a huge opportunity in our generation, church. Listen, just like before Jesus, when the world was so divided and tribal and walled up and everything, we see as Christianity is being ripped from our society, what's happening to our world? It's becoming tribal again. Well, I'm a Republican and I hate Democrats. I'm a Democrat and I hate Republicans. I'm part of me too. I'm part of, part of Black Lives Matter. I, I love immigrants. I, you, you must hate immigrants. Everybody's trying to divide everybody into tribes so they know who to attack and know who they are safe with. We as the church stand at such an incredible opportunity to meet the needs of Democrats and Republicans and immigrants and Black Lives Matter members and me too. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus loves you all the same. He died on the cross for everybody and we stand, I'm so, I'm telling you, I'm so excited. I really, really mean, I'm not saying that because I have to, because I'm up here. I mean that. Like this world is getting dark. This world is getting so divided and hate, it just grows. Some of the things that are spoken online and said to each other and said about each other by people not in power, by people in power, it's all Gross. But God helped the church. God helped this church to shine in the darkness. <clears throat> and so we're going to meet some needs of the people around us. We're going to go. And I, I can't wait. I, I don't know where I got this idea, but it's in my head. And I don't know. Y'all may not be on board with me. I'm, I'm worried about buying all that land. And after going through all the money that we're spending here, like, man, that's going to be a pain. Why don't we just, get, yeah, that's what I felt too. Like, it's going to be a pain. Like, why don't we just get like a big taco truck? And I know like all your minds were like, taco truck? Can, I, can anybody say pop-up shop? Any small business owners know what I'm talking about with pop-up shops? Imagine pop-up free health screenings for those in low-income communities. Imagine for pop-up shops where we give away coats and shoes to kids who are in... in I, this, this absolutely breaks my heart. And we've been talking about this program for a while, but I'm going to be the one to chase it down because so far I haven't made anybody else chase it down. There are kids, not just, in a, not just in the world, not just in America, there are kids in our city who the only time they eat good meals is when they are at school. And when they go home on the weekends, they are actually undernourished for the weekends. So there is a program where they actually fill a backpack with food and give it to the kids on Fridays. The kids take it home and then they have food for the weekend. Then they bring the empty backpack back on Monday to school. 
I want to find that program, and I want to be part of that. It breaks my heart when I hear those stories, and not just because I love to eat. Like that breaks my heart. City Grace, we have such a great opportunity. We have been so blessed. I talked about it last week and I mean it. I mean it a billion times. We are so grateful to Bishop and, and those that had the dream of the preschool and where they have put us. But God help us. We have got to steward this the right way. To whom much is given, much is required. And we will be the kind of people that one day will rule with Jesus in a world where nobody is in want again. Mm. So today, I'm almost done here this morning, but today we're launching two brand new compassion campaigns. Uh, campaigns. And the first one is for Fair, Fairview Elementary. And we've been talking about this for a long time. Fairview Elementary is over there near the mall. And uh, it, it, it's, there's a lot of students there with food and with clothing needs. And uh, Sonia's been working with Under Armour and the, the representatives from Under Armour. And it's actually cool. She, when she first spoke to one of the ladies there that was over there, uh, over one of their stores and talked to her about giving to the community, the lady said, you know, everybody forgets about Fairview. And I was from Fairview. So I think this is, there's a reason you called me. Almost like God was working behind the scenes, right? And they're like, I, I, now I could get this number wrong. Is it 588 students, Sonia? 580, we're going to find 500, we're going to find two more kids because I got 588 in my nose. There are 586 students who could use a brand new pair of shoes. They don't, I mean, wintertime's coming up. It's about to be raining out there. I remember when we first moved to Fairfield. Jason, you remember having holes in our shoes? Remember that? That was fun times, man. Walk to school, you get there, and you have to change your socks because your socks are wet. We can provide shoes for those kids in these schools. And we've already designated $10,000, and Under Armour said, well, yes, we're generous, but we're not that generous. And so Under Armour said we need at least another $5,000. Listen, I believe we can raise $7,500 for this. And here's why. Because I don't just want to give to the kids. I want to bless the teachers of Fairview with Amazon gift cards. The teachers in our community, a lot of them, use their own personal money to buy supplies and equipment for their classrooms. God help us. We can show some light and some love to the teachers of Fairview Elementary. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? So we have a goal for Fairview Elementary to raise $7,500, and here's what you can do. You can go to your app, either the City Grace app, you'll see a button there for Fairview, or you can go to citygrace.church slash Fairview, and there's two things you can do to give to the Fairview Project. Number one, you can give a donation towards a $7,500 goal, $7,500 goal, and the second thing we want you to do is to sign up to volunteer when we go to the school to give away the shoes. You need to be there. You need to see it. You don't need to stay away from it and just send in $5. You need to go meet these kids. You need to learn a few of their names. I'm telling you, when you walk into that classroom with your arms full of shoe boxes, it's going to be one of your favorite days of being alive. I am telling you, it is the most incredible feeling in the world. And when you do it, you will smell the air of heaven. You will get a taste of what it's going to be like someday when God finally ushers in the completeness and the fullness of his kingdom in this world. Oh, I wish more people were running the aisles right now. Go old school Pentecost up in here. 
The second campaign, so you guys got Fairview, you know what to do. The second campaign that we're launching this morning, and I'm so glad to do this, starting today and every week until Jesus comes, we're going to be tracking our attendance, and we're going to give $1 for every person in attendance every single Sunday. And we're going to take that offering, whatever it would be, say like today, $185, $200, wherever we are in there, and we are going to find someone in need in our community, and we are going to bless them with a simple offering. This is exactly what we're going to, no strings attached. Those people are hurting. Those people are sending up prayers to heaven. God, if you're listening, would you please meet our need? Can you imagine the day they send a prayer to heaven and we knock on their door with a check for groceries and gas for the week? Yes, it's beautiful. Mm, I can't wait to, I can't wait to do it. I can't wait to do it. And so in the coming weeks, uh, you're going to see a rollout on the app where you're actually going to be able to nominate someone in need if you know of a need um, or if you know of a need in the community that we can give to. And then we're going to be posting the feedback and the thank yous and the stories from the people that are touched by your generosity. By your generosity. Hello, City Grace. This is not done by a church with a capital C. It's done by the church, the little see us, the individuals. It is your generosity. It is my generosity. It might cost me an Americano tomorrow. So I bought two of them this morning. Hallelujah. It might cost you something. I really did. The second one's in the fridge over there. I can't wait to get to it after church is over. But it might cost us something to give generously, but this is what God is trying to make us into. He is trying to change us. He's not trying to give you a new law for giving. He's trying to change your heart so that we become the kind of people who give like Jesus gave and who love like Jesus loves. And listen, I want to do, I want to give you permission this morning. If you're here, you may not even be a member here this morning. I want to give you permission, all right? If you even give one dollar to City Grace this year. I want you to brag to your friends that you give to your community through City Grace Church. Like when this, this holiday season, when you're walking up to Walmart and there's the dude with the bell and the cup and he puts it out for money, tell him, sorry, I give through my church. I don't care if you only give 50 cents. Just do it. I give you permission because it is your generosity and it is my generosity that Jesus is using to bring in a brand new world. Amen. We are becoming the people who will rule and reign with Christ in a world where no one is in need. This is who we are called to be, to bring redemption to a world that is lost, to bring hope to people that have just about given up hope, to tell people about the... Do you guys remember when Jesus forgave you of your sins? Do you remember that? Do you guys remember when you were baptized in Jesus' name and the water washed you clean? Do you remember that? Do you remember what it felt like the first time you lifted your hands and you were baptized with the Holy Spirit? Do you remember what it was like the first time that you bowed your head to pray and just for some reason, you didn't really do anything different this time than other times, but for one time this time, you really felt like heaven, like God himself was listening. Do you remember that? That is who God is making us into the kind of people who bring heaven into here, the kind of people who bring then into now. We are a city set on a hill. We are the light shining in the darkness. In Jesus' name. 
For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.